Uh, if you missed it, we had an amazing, uh, we had an amazing week. We had an amazing barbecue, or uh, not barbecue, uh, chili cook-off. Last, that was last week. We had our boys' youth group started off this week uh, with a, well, it didn't start off, but we had a, they had a Saturday night movie night here last night. A uh, good group. If you know any middle schoolers, that, that's a fun group. Uh, and Ryan, who's leading worship today, uh, led that with him, and he bravely hung out with a good handful of, uh, of, of the boys, and uh, Colby didn't talk much. I don't know if he's withholding uh, what went on, but uh, he said he had a fun time. Uh, and so, well, this morning, we're bringing our uh, series, uh, our time in Song of Songs, uh, to a close. Uh, this is week uh, five. We had a break last week, uh, and bringing it to a close this week. And I have to say, from the beginning, and even uh, discussing this overall idea and message to message, week to week with uh, the network pastors as we kind of unpack this, uh, my main goal in this from the inception was that we would experience uh, the concepts and the themes within this book, um, that I wanted each of, uh, each of us uh, to be able to relate and walk away with something every week, walk away with something that even though it's a an awkward book, even though it's, you know, ultimately it's an intimate book. We talked about intimacy one year, and if, you've, if you had the chance to read it, it's, it's, it's a sexual book in the Bible. Um, some people say it's, it's uh, Christian pornography, you know. They go as far as to say that. And so, and, and, and for that same reason, people discredit this book. But what I wanted to do as we, as we discuss these things, I really wanted to unpack concepts each week. I wanted to parallel our relationship with Jesus each week. And I want to give us tangible, uh, tangible ways that we could apply what we're talking about, what we're learning uh, from even a book like Song of Songs uh, to our lives and that we could relate to it. And today is no different. And, and as I step back and look back over the content that I've been reading and the, and the things that we've been discussing, I thought to myself, man, how weird is it to teach or, and ask people to read a book like this with the, who we have in the room? And I don't know if you know about communication, but in communication, you want to take a look at who's in the room and base your message on who's in the room. And so I stepped back this week and I thought about, man, you know, we have middle schoolers in the room, middle school and older. We have kids oftentimes that are younger than uh, that age in the room. We have singles who are fully committed to their singleness and totally all right with this. And we have singles that are desiring more than anything to not be single anymore. We have people who are dating uh, that are both sexually active and not sexually active. We have married people who are intimate with each other, and there's married people based on t- statistics that maybe you haven't been intimate for years. We have people who are, uh, who are sexually intimate and people who do have no desire to be that way either. We have people who struggle with sexual addiction based on t- statistics. There's a handful of us in the room as well. And as I stepped back and, and, and looked at that, uh, I, I, I wanted to consider, I thought, man, that is, a, that is a wide range of people as we discuss the topic that is in Song of Songs. And so I hope that I've done my job in, in encouraging you to read the book, encouraging you to uh, dissect what's in there, and encourage you to, uh, in a sense, pull out a desire in relationship and a desire that you may have not had for Christ, maybe as we discussed today in your marriage, maybe in the relationships that you have with your friends, 
maybe in your dating relationships, maybe uh, in your future relationships, whatever that may be. And so today, uh, we'll be looking at that same thing, and we'll be looking at the idea of attraction uh, today. And, and even more than that, we'll be looking at attraction, but uh, really how, uh, how that works in not only in our marriage relationships, and that will be a focus this morning as well as we talk about and unpack what this maybe looks like in a marriage, but also attraction and how that looks in our personal relationship uh, with Jesus. And so, and, and, and as I got to thinking about this, I thought, man, attraction in relationships is really kind of a crazy concept. Um, some people are attracted to certain things and other people are attracted to something different. Uh, we used uh, this verse that we're going to talk about here in a second, the first week, but I knew that when we talked about this uh, as it pertained to attraction, as it pertained to marriage, that I would want to revisit this uh, uh, verse and talk about it even a little further, that I wanted to return here uh, when, as, as opposed that we talked about uh, Solomon and his wife. So this is thought to be Solomon's first wife, uh, a covenant marriage that he had uh, before God, but with his first wife specifically. Uh, and this is, uh, this is song, song of Songs, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. And so that start of that verse is actually uh, Solomon's wife talking. Uh, and then the second part of our, is Solomon's response. Like a lily among the thorns is my darling among young women. And if you remember, we looked at this verse week one, and this explains Solomon's attraction to his wife, but it also says, uh, it also explains a little bit as to what's going on with, uh, with uh, his wife as well, in that she says, I'm a rose of Sharon. And we talked about this week one when we talked about that was just a common flower, right? There's nothing special about the rose of Sharon. It's actually in this context and in this culture, a swamp lily, uh, and so, uh, which is very common in that area, uh, in that culture, in that time. Um, but what Solomon says in this is that it is, uh, he compares it to a lily among the thorns. And that's what we get to see. We get to see a glimpse of Solomon's attraction to his wife, what he thinks about her specifically, all right? Now, uh, I, I'm actually doing a wedding this coming Saturday, and so um, I'm in premarital counseling mode. I've been, I've, been meet, mode. I've been meeting with them and talking with them about uh, their marriage and what it's going to look like, and it's uh, both of their first marriages, and so uh, unpacking a lot of the things that are kind of awkward to talk about. But uh, what, I, what I pull from this specifically uh, and, and this is your kind of free, if you're married, this is your free counseling lesson uh, on, on uh, no charge uh, with this. But this is the idea of Solomon saying that he is attracted to his wife. And I would say that, and we'll get into this in a second, in a second attraction is really choice. It's your choice. But uh, in this, it's saying that, you know, if your wife is a blonde, husbands, you're into blondes, Right? If your wife is a brunette, you're into brunettes. If your husband is bald, women, you're into bald men, right? If he has a few missing teeth, you're into toothless bald men, right? That's who you are attracted to, right? I have my teeth, don't have the hair. Um, and Heather actually instructs me. That's why I shaved most of my beard off. She was telling me it was time to do that. So uh, she's attracted to shorter bearded men. Um, anyways. So, but that's how it works. 
That's our attraction. And that's the covenant in marriage, right? If you're married, you're into your husband and or your wife. But in relationships in general, uh, relationships in a whole start with attraction, right? They do. They start with attraction, some sort of attraction. And uh, how that attraction is portrayed for us mo- mostly in culture uh, is, well, you could say, well, that's, it's kind of shallow, right? I mean, attraction to f- the physical look of somebody is kind of a shallow way to look at somebody. And I would say that if we were really real about it, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's shallow. I think it's actually kind of human. Right? I mean, if you really look at, you know, if you're married or if you've got a boyfriend or a girlfriend um, that you're dating, um, you at some point were attracted to them. If you're not now, you should be, but uh, at some point, that's what drew you close to each other, is attraction, right? And, and it's not always physical, and we'll get into that as well, but uh, for the most part, some point early on, there was physical uh, attraction, and it's not shallow, right? And I want to I want to read just a little a uh, little excerpt of Song of Songs, Song of Songs, it's Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, based on your translation. Translation, but I'm going to read uh, chapter two, nine through thirteen, and this is just a picture of the Twitter-pated love that uh, that they have in this uh, in this book. Uh, verse nine: My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look here, he stands behind a wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See the winter past, and the rains are, rains are uh, over and gone. Flowers appear on earth, and seasons, singing, uh, uh, seasons of singing have come. The cooing of doves can be heard in our land. The fig trees form uh, early fruits, and the blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. And so this is that picture of attraction or love in this, I almost think of it like a cartoon where you got cooing birds and you got flowing vines with fragrance flowers. And I don't know, I, I just picture, you know, I mean, you can picture any of those animated films where the love song comes on and then everything kind of takes its place and, the, and then the animals are singing to the two lovebirds that are in the boat that are floating. Isn't, isn't that like uh, Lion King? I don't know what it is. But, uh, but anyways, that's what I picture there and that's the love that's there. But even more than that, there's, and that kind of introduces a little bit more than the physical aspect. Attraction moves past the physical side. Uh, and, we, and when we get into this a bit, ultimately our attraction causes us to do some pretty crazy stuff. Our attraction, if you think back to early on and maybe your relationship, attraction usually causes you to do pretty crazy stuff. If you listen to this, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 6, uh, who is coming up from the wilderness like a column of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and incense, made from all the spices of the merchant? And I have to stop there because I think a lot of times, and you've probably heard the story of uh, Mary and the perfume and pouring it on Jesus and how expensive that perfume was and I mean, it was a year or two's worth of wages. And, and here we get a picture of Solomon and the level he went to to impress his wife, to impress this uh, field girl, really, uh, in, in this. And so uh, I can only, I mean, we, we can uh, speculate on what that perfume bottle cost that Mary uh, poured on Jesus. But how about a perfume bottle that uh, washes the smell out of this? Look, it's, and this is just the following verses. Look, it's Solomon's carriage 
escorted by 60 sweaty warriors. Sweaty's not in there, but I added it. Uh, the noblest of Israel. I'm just imagining, right? I mean, they're full of armor, carrying their swords, it says. Uh, the noblest of Israel, all of them wearing uh, a sword, all experienced in battle, each one of them with a sword on his side, prepared uh, for the terrors of the night. King Solomon made for himself a carriage made of wood from Lebanon. So you've got these 60 warriors, you've got, uh, you know, the swords and the, this wooden carriage, and, and yet what is recorded is that the perfume and incense is what is smelt. And so I would guess that incense, perfume, uh, the spices of the merchants, that's richness. That's everything he poured in for his trip to go visit this girl in the fields. And it causes us to do crazy stuff. Guys, do you remember the three times in your 20s that you vacuumed out your car? Right? <laughs> do you remember that? It was the three dates that you went on, right? No joke. I mean, when you go, when you're in your 20s and you, and you want to go out with a girl, I mean, you clean up, you take all the Gatorade bottles and the, the McDonald's wrappers and you vacuum out your car. And you hang a little tree on the, on the, on the rearview mirror. I mean, that's the crazy stuff you do, right? For me, Heather and I dated for a couple years. We were engaged for 10 months. I did not watch any football for those three years. That was crazy, right? And Heather often says, I didn't even know you were into football. And I'm like, I know, that was my plan, right? We do some crazy stuff when it comes to attraction and when it comes to physical attraction. And at least with, with those actions that we put forth in those relationships, that's us investing in those relationships and, and pouring into those relationships and unfortunately what has happened and I would say that this is true in culture but this is also true even in biblical Christian culture uh, that we've devalued relationships we've devalued what a relationship is what it means what the commitment is and because of that, we've lessened, uh, lessened what God has created it for, right? We've basically made relationships temporary or disposable, right? If you don't like what you got, you can just dispose of it and move on to the next one. And that's true in dating relationships. That's true in marriage these days, right? We've become, our relationships have become disposable. What I want to tell you is that relationships at any level are not disposable. That's relationships that are in, in marriage situations, relationships of one-on-one -on -one friendship, closeness and dating relationships. They are not disposable. Relationships are not disposable. And this is what I want to say to you, church. We serve and we're created uh, by a highly relational God. A God that values people and relationships at the very top. There is nothing that he values more other than people and relationships. So church, I believe that for us, for us to have the most impact, we have to value relationships at that exact, well, we can't achieve 
God's status. Obviously, we can't all be Jesus, like I said about the play. But uh, we have to value relationships highly and invest in them. Relationships, and that includes, and that especially includes the relationships that are within the church and the marriages that are within the church. Right? If we can't do relationships here right, if we can't do marriages in here right, then how can we, if that's the most important thing to God, how can we display Christ to anybody? How can we display who he is and who he calls us to be? And, and this is a deal. Relationships are hard. They are. People are messy. You've, I haven't, that's not the first time I've said that. Marriage isn't easy. It's God's design, though, and it's a covenant that we have with God. And it's a, choice that we, it's a choice that we have to make in relationships to do it God's way. Now, I know I've told you this story before, but it is incredibly fitting. In our, uh, in our small group, uh, we've been meeting for five years or so now, there was a Sunday, or there was a, a small group day a few years back that Heather made the statement of, uh, I have to wake up and choose to love Jason every morning. Like, it has to be my choice. I have to strategically make that choice every morning. And our small group was like, oh, you know, like, she got you, you know, you're hard to be with or whatever. But no, it's, <laughs> it's true. And what she was saying when she said that was that it's a choice. We have a choice every morning to value the relationships in our lives. We, she has a choice, and I make it hard, but she has a choice to make every morning. Whether or not she's going to love me, whether or not she's going to be attracted to me, whether or not she's going to, you know, talk to me. It's her choice and, and the value that she has. And we all have that choice. And, and, and shame on me if I make it hard for her to do that, which I do all too often. Maybe you do too. But it's our choice ultimately in the relationships that we have to make the choice to value and to invest in those relationships. Attraction is a choice, right? I'm not the man that Heather married. Whoa, that was Loria. I know it was Loria. I put on a little weight in the middle. My beard that I didn't have is getting gray. I shaved my head by choice. It's not that I was losing. No, I'm just kidding. Losing my hair, right? We're all not the same person we were when we maybe met the person that we were married or the day that we got married or the day we started dating. But ultimately, ultimately, we still choose the, the, and value the covenant that we've made with God. And the same thing is true in our relationships with, with other people as well. And, and if you think back about it, uh, maybe oftentimes, and maybe it's continued to be this way for you, but one time, if you look back at your relationship with Jesus, the, the day that you uh, decided to follow him, not too long after that was probably a time where you were so attracted to Jesus. And you were so on fire for what he had for you. And you were so desiring to make the decisions that ultimately he wanted in your life. And you wanted to grow in him and you really desired to be with him. Can you think back to those days? Are you still in those days today? 
See, over time, it's, it, we become less attracted for what Jesus has for us. Early on, he works through the stuff that we needed to shed anyways, and we knew it. Like, we needed to, to get rid of that and toss that aside and deal with this and deal with that. and That's the easy stuff. But once he blows through that stuff, all of a sudden, what Jesus is telling us to do isn't attractive anymore. It's too hard. It takes too much time. I'm, I'm vested too much in me and what I've got going on. And it's at that point that we allow Jesus, we allow God's plan for us to not be as attractive in our lives. Or maybe we do. Maybe you've got it all figured out and you just have continued to grow. Because that's, that's the design, right? God wants us as we grow to know him more, to trust him more and for him to do more in our lives. Maybe that's you, but Revelations 2, 4 through 5, I used this verse as well one of the weeks, but I wanted to revisit this and, and talk about the latter side of it. But yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. See, this is written in, in Revelations uh, to the church of Ephesus. And if you remember another week, I shared a, uh, shared a letter from the church of uh, Laodicea. But this is to the church of Ephesus. And it's talking about how far they have fallen from the attraction and what God desired for them. How far away they had fallen from that in their lives. And this is written to that church and and, 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 he's, and he's, he's begging to them to return to that relationship that they once had. The love and the desire that they once had for him. The nurturing, the love that they had for God. It says, consider how far you have fallen. See, in the beginning you get to see you, we see the attraction. We see the love. And we want to desire the connection and nurture the connection that we have with Christ. But ultimately, at the beginning, our attraction starts with seeing the positive. Right? In our relationships with God, we see all the stuff that we know we need to take care of. In our relationships with each other, we don't see no faults in the ones that we're pursuing. And, and our desire is so high that we don't necessarily see the negative. But then over time, what happens is we begin to see, and we begin to keep track, and we begin to record, and we begin to keep a record of wrong. We begin to stack up the flaws, the way they hurt us, how they acted, the wrongs they have done, and it can get negative real quick. And it, it, it can become a list where we're concentrated on the flaws and the negative. And, and this is not only in, in our relationships with each other. This is all, also in our relationships with God. We view things that have happened in our lives, things that we feel God has done to us, or things that he's not giving us. Or, and we stack that up. And that takes the place of the trust and the value that we want and desire to have with God but also in our marriages and in our relationships. That pile just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and that's where our focus is. 
Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't view you that way? That he doesn't take a look at you and, and see the things that you've done, maybe to, to disown him, or the ways that you just don't think about what he's telling you to do, or you, the time that you don't give him. Aren't you glad that, that Jesus doesn't do that to you? I am. Because I tell you what, I'd have a, I, I, there'd be a big list. And it'd be a lot of reminders. And there'd be, there'd be a case built up against me. But that's not what Jesus does. He doesn't concentrate on our flaws. He doesn't focus in on those. He goes, you know what, I know. I know you're going to mess up. You're not always going to get it right. But I've created you and, and, and actually even given you, uh, given you a, a blessing and a... Um, a uniqueness about you, a gifting, so to speak. I've, give, I've gifted you with a certain way, and that's what I see. That other, the other ways, the ways you mess up, man, that, that's all right. That's the areas I get to work in, Jesus says. Your weakness and the things that you, uh, that, that you think separate us, that's if you allow me to in our relationship, those are the areas I love to work in. Those are the areas I love to, to develop in who you are. Jesus doesn't keep lists. This is, this is, he sees his creation, and he sees his love that he has for his child. And he desires so much more for the relationship that you have with him. And so I would ask you this, specifically with our marriages and our relationships within our church, what if we allowed our marriages and our relationships to grow in passion and attraction based on time? What if, what if in our marriages, as we hit 5 and 10 and 15 and 20 and 25 years, our marriages were exponentially more? That, that the relationship that we have meant so much more. And there was even more desire and more passion and more attraction. What if we could say that we love each other more than the day that we met them? And actually, more than that, I mean, and maybe you can say that, but does your relationship display that? Is that displayed in the way that you live out your marriage or you live out your relationship with each other. There's actually studies that show that that is true. That couples that have been married for 30, 40 years, the attraction and satisfaction rate in those marriages has grown. And in those relationships has grown. Is that your story? Is that what's going on with your relationship with Jesus? In our relationship with Jesus, the goal is over time that we would grow in love with him even more. But often we get to the point in our relationship with Jesus that it's stagnant. That we've gotten to that point that I've talked about where Jesus has worked through the stuff that was easy to dust off and blow away. But now we've become stagnant because the stuff that's still there is, is way too difficult. Right? And we become 
stagnant in those, and that becomes uh, the conflict that we have in that relationship. And there's no growth, and there's no growing attraction, and there's no growing desire in it. In our marriages, often it's the buildup of the weight of all those things that have happened in the past that we've kept on the shelf as firepower or as like, you know, uh, a, a list of things that we're going to operate from, things, ways that you were wronged or things that have happened, and, and we become that, we, we're the entitled one. Well, all this has happened to me, so this is how I'm not going to do the relationship well. This is how I'm not going to do marriage well, and that's ultimately what happens. Listen to the description of love and attraction uh, again in, in Song of Songs. This is chapter 8, 6, and 7. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters could not quench love. Rivers could not sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. What if that was our relationship with Jesus, that no water could quench it, no river could roll through and, 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 and smelt it out, no river could extinguish the fire, no water could extinguish the fire that we have for him? See, as we get to know Jesus in our lives, the greater the attraction we should have for him. If we put in the time, if we pursue Jesus and let him be the model, no water and no river could quench the fire and the desire that we have to live a life that he wants for us. See, I, I love doing premarital counseling uh, because I get to see the, the fiery, newly acquired and develop love that they have for each other. They're like, you know, I mean, to use that word again, Twitter-pated for each other. I mean, they're just like, you know, they're like laughing and giggling, and, and, and it's just great. They just sit there, and I ask them questions, and they laugh and giggle about it, and they're just so in love. But I actually know that that's the desire of our hearts as well, in our relationships with each other, but also in our relationships with, with Jesus. See, but the common experiences in, in, in broken marriages, and I get to see, maybe it's I get to see the extremes. I get to see th that newly wed couple in my office for premarital counseling. And the unfortunate side is that I also get to see the, the married couple that comes to me and needs some help. And it's not a bad place to be. I mean, it's not a desired place to be in. But it's a place that we're in sometimes. And we need help out of it. But I get to see those two extremes. And, and, and more times than not, what's happened over here is the loss of passion. And the loss of attraction. And the loss of desire to live for each other. The Ephesians 5 message of, of living for your spouse to develop and build them up, husband or wife equal, the role of both of them. Scripture tells us that our relationship with Jesus, that our relationship in our marriage should grow and get greater and greater as we spend more time in them. Is that true in your relationship? Statistics also show that the more you put into your relationship, the better the relationship's going to be. The more you invest. And I love telling that to the, the premaritals. Premarital counseling, 40% of the, 
so peop, couples who take premarital counseling, they have a 40% better chance of succeeding in marriage. And that's like three to five sessions of premarital counseling. But there's a 40% chance, statistics show it, that if they took premarital counseling, 40% chance of succeeding more. And that's a great statistic. But even more than that, and here's the deal, the more you put into your relationship with God, the more pure all of the relationships in your life will be. I would say that if you are focused on God and what he, what he has and the desire to be with him and the desire for him to instruct your marriage and instruct your life, that 40% would, would pale in comparison to the success rate of just relationships in general. And that's been the focus of this. That's why we called it pure. Because our focus on Jesus, that's why we parallel Jesus. Our focus on Jesus has been to have our relationships be pure. So where are you at right now? Where are you at in your relationship with the Lord? Where are you at in what God has for you? Has your attraction to Jesus grown cold? Has your attraction to Jesus grown cold? Where have you disposed your attraction to the Lord of your life? Do you have a relationship with Jesus or do you have an arrangement with Jesus? Are you attracted to him or are you distant? Has there been a divide and has, have you grown further apart? Like in the uh, Revelations, how far have you fallen? Do you remember the time when you were closer to him? Do you remember the time when you desired him? Do you remember the time when you were more fiery towards what he had for you? And here's the deal. I'm going to invite the band to come forward. Um, this has nothing to do with me. This has to do with you guys. It has to do personally with you and your relationship with the Lord. Like I said, if you focus on that first, then all your other relationships will be more pure and there'll be more desire in them. And so what I just want for you to do as we close in worship, uh, I want for you to think about those questions. I want for you to think about the desire that you have for the Lord. I want you to think about where you're at with him and how long has it been or how far you have fallen. We're going to close with a song that I actually love, Come to the Altar. And this is an opportunity for us to come before Jesus and say, you know what? I desire to be closer to you. I desire for you to be more real in our lives. So I'm going to close in prayer. Uh, I want you guys to uh, focus in on the relationship that Jesus desires to have with you.